someone sees a piece of paper that looks like my notes, if that's not it, don't worry about it. It's okay. It's all right. If we don't, we don't find them, we're good. We're good. Uh, just a couple of thoughts anyway. So uh, let's open. Let's go to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter number 13 and Proverbs chapter number 18. And <clears throat> I'm going to read a couple of verses here. And um, after we read these, I'll kind of explain. This is question and answers night. And uh, the theme is kind of, you know, Christmas, New Year's. But if, 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 we, if we had to go a little bit off topic, that's okay. Um, but there's, there's uh, what I want to do is kind of set the tone for why we do this as a church, all right? Uh, the, the, the point is not for you to walk away and go, man, pastor knows a lot of Bible. Uh, the, the goal is for you to walk away and go, man, I want to know the word of God. And I want to know Jesus Christ even better. And uh, I, I think another one of the goals is to uh, walk away and go, God is so amazing. Look what he put in his word. And no matter what I think or what I want, God is right. That, that's the way you want to walk away. Look at Proverbs chapter 13. And uh, as you might already know, 13 is an interesting number in the Bible. Look at uh, Proverbs 13, uh, verse number 10. And what I'm going to do is uh, draw a contrast. Uh, we learn by way of uh, repetition. Two times two is four. Two times two is four. Two times two is four. And that's how kids learn a multiplication table, right? Um, you also learn by things that are alike, things that are similar. All right. Uh, you would say that, uh, listen, if, if you're talking about uh, soft and you say soft, squishy, right? You go, these are similar synonyms. These are similar things. Uh, then you learn by contrast up versus down. And uh, what I want to present is a contrast in regards to how to approach the Bible uh, with questions. Proverbs 13, look if you would at verse number 10. Proverbs 13, verse number 10. And you're going to be sitting a little bit, so let's stand together for just a moment. Proverbs 13, verse number 10, and a very, very simple verse, and it's one that we all have down perfectly, right? Uh, none of us have this problem, I'm sure, but let's read the verse anyways. Uh, Proverbs 13, verse 10, only by what? Pride. Cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. And if you know anything about the book of Proverbs, it's written to give young men and, and young people youth wisdom uh, from God's perspective. And what you learn from the book of James is there are two kinds of wisdom. You want the godly, biblical kind of wisdom. You don't want the world's wisdom. And so what, what the author of Proverbs, Solomon here, is saying is, look, when there's contention, all right, then that is fueled by pride. All right. Uh, look, if you would, at Proverbs chapter number 18, Proverbs 18. The reason I say this is because when you dig in the word of God, you've got different personalities and different backgrounds and different ideas. And, and the Bible is the equalizer. But sometimes when we get in it, uh, maybe there's a chance that I see some from a point of view that you don't. And, and let me just say this. If it is not black and white doctrine and it is not something that you can look at and nail down the scriptures, you know what the answer ought to be? Okay. And, and, and what happens sometimes, and I've seen it happen in Bible-leaving churches often, is you look at this differently than I do, then we can no longer be friends. You look at this differently. So, so here's what happens. Before you get saved, you get drunk, you beat a guy up, and the next day you're at the bar uh, with your arm over the guy, singing the blues with the guy that you just knocked out the other day. All right? After you get saved, if that happens, then that guy that hits you is now devil, the devil himself, and he's going to hell, and you know it, and you got 50 verses to prove he's wrong, and you were right for punching him. All right? So you want to make sure that when you approach things, you approach it with humility. When you approach the Bible, do you realize that God says he appreciates those that tremble at his word? 
tremble. You know what that means? I approach it with humility. All right, look at Proverbs chapter 18. This is a contrast. Proverbs 18, verse number 1. Through desire, a man, having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddleth with all what? Wisdom. Wisdom. So, so what we want to do is kind of draw a contrast as we open this up tonight between uh, a, a holy curiosity, which leads to wisdom, uh, and, and that which is contentious. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. We'll explain what we mean by that. Father, we thank you for this evening, and God, I thank you for the opportunity. It's always a good time. Lord, it's always good to be in your house, and it's always good to open up the Word of God. And Lord, as we draw closer to, uh, Lord, the day that's marked on the calendar where people celebrate uh, the birth of our Savior, Lord, we know He wasn't born that day. We get that. Uh, but Lord, as we get closer to that, Lord, I pray you'd help us, Lord, to have a deeper burden for those around us. Uh, Lord, those that don't have the light of Jesus Christ. Lord, to have a, a deeper desire. Uh, Lord, as it says in this verse, through desire, man having seek it, uh, separated himself, seeketh and intermeddleth all wisdom. God, we have a deeper desire to know you. And God, I pray that that would be what tonight is all about. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, be seated if you would. Let me just say this much. All right. Uh, can you guys generally see this okay up here? Should I put it down? Who says keep it up? Who says put it down? Oh, man, there you go. Now we got us a problem, don't we? All right. Uh, so so I, I think we had more up than down, so, so just bear with me, all right? There's your democracy at work. Um, when you approach the Bible out of a contentious spirit, let me say it like this. When you ask a question for the purpose of proving yourself right versus asking a question for the purpose of knowing what God says, um, there are different responses from the Lord. Do you realize when someone, when the Pharisees ask questions out of contention, God doesn't answer them? And when someone is genuinely curious, he'll spend all kinds of time with them. He'll give them answers. Um, and you'll see this over and over and over. Let me give you an example. Look at Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22. And this is not, do not get the wrong impression. This is not my way of saying I don't want your I want all the questions I can get. Uh, what I'm saying is we, wanna, we all collectively want to approach it with the right spirit. Uh, and the spirit is not, I'm right. Pastor, would you prove me right? The spirit is, God, what do you say? Uh, look at Matthew chapter number 22. Matthew 22. Uh, Matthew 22, look if you would at verse number, oh, let's see here, verse number 15. Then, when the Pharisee, uh, then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. Now let me ask you a question. You realize verse 15 is not something that everybody saw? That's God's commentary on the situation. That means that when the Pharisees came and started asking questions, it wasn't like everybody goes, oh, we know why you're asking that question. Uh, they, no, not everybody did realize that. The Bible tells you their motive. Do, do you realize when it comes to the judgment seat of Christ that God cares a whole lot more about your why than he does just your what? I'll give you an example of what I mean by that, all right? Uh, the Bible says uh, he'll judge every man's work of what sort it is. That means your motive, all right? So if I'm, let's say, let's say we go out to, to Starbucks. We never, ever go out there, right? So we go to Starbucks, and, and Brother Tim's with me, and um, I'm not going to give anybody a track. I don't ever do it, but he's with me, so I feel pressure. So I do it because he's there. Do you realize if I do that, God can still take someone and, and, and save them. It doesn't mean that I shouldn't have done that. It just means that if my motive wasn't right, my motive wasn't to please God, it was more to make myself look good in front of Brother Tim, then at that point, I lose the reward. As Willy Wonka said, 
good day, sir, there are no gifts for you, right? You get nothing, right? You lose out on the, on the reward and the prize that the Lord wants to give you. Do you realize when you get saved, God did not just say, uh, I want you to live a miserable life on this earth and have nothing to show for it. God wants you, to, he, he has you go through things for the purpose of giving you something to show for it in eternity, and you get that at the judgment seat of Christ. And you learn about that in 2 Corinthians 5 and 1 Corinthians 3 and other places that Paul talks about it. But the idea is this, God cares a whole lot more about your why than he does just your what. Uh, look at Matthew chapter 22 and look at verse number uh, 16. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians saying, Master. Now let me just say this, the Herodians were Romans. These are people that did not, that the Pharisees did not really actually like. But they got together for the purpose of nailing Jesus Christ. All right, and let me just say this, uh, don't align with people because you hate someone else more. Don't do that. It's not a real friendship, all right? Uh, you see that with Jesus Christ, with Pilate and Herod as well. Uh, look down, if you would, at verse uh, number 16. Uh, saying, Master, we know that thou art true, and teach us the way of God in truth. They didn't believe that. They're saying that to butter him up. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? You know what, that's a question, right? What do you think? That's a question, but are they asking it with the right motive? No. Look at the rest of the verse. Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt me, ye hypocrites? And he goes on to give them a great answer. Uh, look at verse 22. When they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. Uh, and, and you know what goes on in the next couple verses? The Sadducees, which you may or may not remember this, all right, but there's two main uh, antagonist groups the Lord deals with in his earthly ministry, the Pharisees, and uh, they, they were, uh, you could probably say more orthodox, if you will, in their, in their interpretation of the Old Testament, and there were Sadducees. And the Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection. They did not believe in angels. They didn't believe in a resurrection. They, uh, the Pharisees believed it because the, the, the Old Testament said it. The Sadducees did not. Now, if you did not believe in a resurrection, would you ever ask a question about someone going through the resurrection if you never even believed in it? You know, the honest answer is you wouldn't unless you're trying to entangle somebody. Now, look what happens in verse number uh, 23. The same day came to him the Sadducees. It's like a loaded day. You ever have one of those days where just one person after another is like, you are of the devil. What's your issue? Right? And the Lord is dealing with this. All right? Don't look at me like, oh, no, yes, you think that often. All right, uh, look at verse uh, 23, which say there is no resurrection and ask him, saying, Master Moses, if a man die, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and, sh and raise up a seed unto his, uh, unto his brother. Now there were with us seven brethren, and the first, when he had married a wife, deceased, and having no issue, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third, and the seventh. And last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the what? They didn't believe in it. And they're going, well, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be? Now, first of all, let me say this. If you know a lady, and every time she marries a dude, they die, do not marry that lady. That's my nugget out of that passage, all right? Uh, but secondly, they, they did not believe in the resurrection at all, and yet they're asking in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be? And they're asking it, why? To entangle him as well. So again, what you, what you learn is this. There are two ways to approach the Bible. One is with an agenda. Here's what I believe. The Bible's going to prove me right. Don't do that. Say, Lord, uh, here's what I think, but Lord, you're right regardless of what I think. Amen. All right? 
And, and this one says, no agenda, I just want to know him. And that's the way we want to approach any of it. And I'm not just talking about question and answers. I'm talking about when you read your Bible. When, when, okay, when someone says, uh, okay, good example. Uh, they got saved in the Old Testament by looking forward to the cross, and we get saved in the New Testament by looking back. People mean well when they say that, and that's a cliche that's used in churches oftentimes. And good, born-again, loving Christian people say those things, and then people repeat them and go, that's true. Okay, well, what does the Bible say about that? And then you got to go, okay, well, this is what I heard. This is my cliche. This is what I believe, but what does God actually say about it? Um, let, let, me, let me say this. Uh, when you approach the Bible, go to James chapter 3. Uh, when you approach the Bible uh, and, and you approach uh, questions, uh, don't let them be of contention. Contention shows up with, I am right, and I want to be proven right. right. Curiosity says, I just want to know him, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. I, I want to know what God says about X, right? Uh, look at James chapter 3, James chapter 3. And, um, and then I want to kind of address a couple things that I, I've had some questions on recently and do the best I can to answer them. Then I'm going to open it up to you guys, all right? And the only reason I'm doing some self-induced question and answers up here is because I've heard these questions repeatedly over. And, and my thought is this. If I'm hearing it from several people over the course of a number of weeks and months, that means someone's got it in their head, and maybe we should address it. So look at James chapter number 3, James chapter 3, and notice what the Lord says, James chapter 3. This is midweek Bible what? All right, so we're going to do that. Uh, James chapter 3, look if you would at verse number 13. Who is a what? You want to be a wise man? Listen to what he says. And endued with knowledge among you, let him show out of a good conversation... Now, you know what that tells you? A wise person does the right stuff. It's not just, I think, therefore I am. It's not just this high, lofty, sitting around, uh, uh, shooting the bull, and thinking about these lofty ideals and philosophy, and therefore I'm somehow wise because I thought about the essence of my being and all that stuff. That's not, I'm not talking about the existential stuff. I'm, not, I'm talking about, biblically, from God's standpoint, what is wisdom. Uh, notice what he says in verse number 14. But if you have bitter envying and what? Only by pride cometh what? Contention. All right? If you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not, lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual. What's the last character quality? You know what that is? It's fueled by pride. Do you realize the, the, what, what, what uh, the devil says five times? I will. I will. I will. I will. No one's going to tell me what to do. I know what I believe. Um, you say, what is it? It's pride. And uh, the, 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 what, it, what the Lord is telling us in James chapter 3 is this, is you do not want to approach him, the brethren, the church, the Bible, with the spirit of I'm right and everybody else is wrong. Uh, what you want to do is approach it humbly and go, okay, Lord, speak, O Lord, thy servant heareth. <laughs> All right? Uh, look at uh, verse 16. For where envying and strife is, there is what? Is God the author of confusion? Okay. Uh, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy. Do you, you know what I've learned about ministry? Let me, get, let me help you guys out, especially some of you young guys, because you're wanting to, to minister to other people and, and pursuing ministry. The ministry is not about how much Bible you know. It's not. You need to know the Bible. If you think I'm going against what Brother Isaac just said, you got it all wrong. I'm, I'm in his camp. You better learn that book. That's the only thing that's going to help other people. 
But the ministry is not just about how much Bible you know. It's about how much you're willing to serve others with the knowledge that you have. Do, do you realize, I'll give you a good illustration. A man taught me the Bible, read through his Bible, I don't know, 150 times, whatever it was. Could, could quote verses left and right, preach a, a countless messages into his 70s, 80s, and 90s without having notes and all kinds of stuff. Brilliant mind. And you know what? I, I remember one time hearing a story about how he went to a prison, and there was a Pentecostal preacher there trying to show him verses about how you can lose your salvation. And, and Brother Peacock was there. And Brother Peacock was watching this thing, and, and uh, the old preachers, they call him, Brother R- Dr. Ruttman said, uh, this, this guy's open all this, and bro, bro, Dr. Ruttman said, well, what the Bible says this, and the guy goes, yeah, 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 but, but over here, but over here. And, and you know what, eventually Dr. Ruttman said, well, that's something I really didn't consider that. And Brother Peacock got mad. He said, how come you didn't just show him upside, rip him one down, uh, upside and down the other, and tell him this verse and that verse, and you could have shown him this, you could have shown him that. He goes, you think it's right to, to beat up on a kindergartner? You think it's right to, to pick on people that don't know as much as you do? And Brother Peacock was like, no, sir. <laughs> and listen, Brother Peacock's up here. Dr. Rubman's a little shrimp, you know. When you see a big guy like this, go, no, sir. You know, that's something to watch. Now, you know what the lesson is? It's not about how much you know. It's can you minister to people with that knowledge? So, so all that said, we're going to dig tonight. We're going to get into some stuff. Uh, but I want you to understand that the goal tonight is not for us to be preeminent, but the Lord to be preeminent. And so I'm going I'm to I'm tackle two things real quick that literally I could take several weeks to go and teach on, and we're not going to do that because we don't have the time. Um, but one of the questions is the timing of the rapture, and I've had this question brought up over and over and over and over and over. Let me give you a, a couple things right now. Um, I, can, I can tell you emphatically, I don't know that day, I don't know that hour. Now, Jesus Christ said that. When he said that, just to be clear, in Matthew chapter number 24, he's not talking about the rapture, he's talking about the second advent. And when he said that, he's saying that when he had limited knowledge and he submitted himself to human experience, he knows now what he did not know when he was here. All right. So it's not like he's up there going, okay, is it time yet? Okay, is it time yet? He knows now. He limited his knowledge during his earthly ministry. We see that over and over and over. However, I do want you to look at some. Look at Acts 1. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what the day is. Now, you may go, I know exactly what year. You do if the calendar's right. And you also do if God doesn't stop counting certain years. Do you realize God stops counting certain years in the Bible? Uh, Over and over and over, you'll find 490 years, 490 years, 490 years, just like in uh, the 490 years that's described with Daniel's 70 weeks. And you'll find that over and over, do you realize that God doesn't count the 15 years of Ishmael's around? For Abraham to, to the next company? Do you realize that? You say, why is that? I, I can tell you this. There's things in the Bible that you start digging, you realize... Man, I don't know everything I think I know. And there are times where God will stop the clock and go, okay, we're not counting this. All right, so if the calendar's right and certain other things, it may be a certain year. Maybe it is. But I can tell you this, um, if it is, if it is, let's say it is 2033. Let me ask you a question. What are you supposed to do between now and then? And what are you supposed to do if it happened tomorrow? Or what, if it's, what about a week from now? So, so I don't mean this to sound cheeky with you or to sound funny, but let me ask you this question. Even if you did know the year, can I ask you a question? What good is that going to do you? I'm not saying you can't know. I'm just asking you, how is it going to change your everyday Christian life? Now, look at uh, First Thessalonians. You guys are kind of somber on me tonight. I'm not, I know some of you spend a lot of time on YouTube and you got all the answers. And I'm not trying to hurt you or pick on you. Uh, but let me just tell you right now, you watch a comment, you read a commentary, you watch a YouTube video, 
And if you're not careful, you'll start running around telling everybody, you know exactly when things are going to happen. And you better be careful because greater men and wiser men than all of us in this room have done this and have been wrong. So you know what I'd rather do? I'd rather just say, maybe that's right. Maybe, let's say out of humility, I don't have that answer. I'll say, maybe that's right. You know what I'm supposed to do between now and then? Win people to Jesus Christ, disciple them, and live a life for Jesus Christ, honor and glory. All right, let's say it happens tomorrow. Let me say this. Uh, I can tell you this much. Paul and the early Christians, you know what they did? They lived as if Jesus Christ was coming in their lifetime. Uh, Matter of fact, look at Acts chapter 1. Look at verse number 7. Acts chapter 1, verse number 7. I'm sorry, go back to verse 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the what? Times or the what? All right, so he says times and seasons, times and seasons. Uh, Look at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, you know what happens here? That's, That's the disciples asking about the kingdom of heaven and the literal physical kingdom of Jesus Christ coming down this earth. And, and they're told, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. Uh, however, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and notice in verse number 1. Now, if you know what chapter 4 is all about, you know what chapter 4 is all about? It's about this event right here. It's about the rapture. And he gives you great detail as to what's going to happen when the rapture takes place. Now, look at chapter 5, but he's switching gears. Now, watch what he says. Look at the, look at the wording. Did we not just read something very similar to this? But the times and what? He says this, Brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. So here's what we can emphatically state. Those early Christians understood the times and the seasons in regards to the day of the Lord. Well, that means when the, day, when the Lord's coming back to establish his kingdom on the earth. So here's things they did not understand in Acts that they do understand in 1 Thessalonians 5, which means this. God can reveal more things over time than what one group has earlier on. Does that make sense? All right. Now, uh, look at Song of Solomon chapter 2. And uh, I don't have time to go into all of this. I'm just going to give you this real quick. All right. Let me tell you what, what I, if, if someone says, Pastor Adrian, what is, uh, when's the Lord coming back? I'll tell you this. Uh, I don't have the exact time, but I can give you some seasons. I can give you some things that, that you can know for a fact. I can't tell you the exact day, but I can tell you within reason what I think is a reasonable time in regards to times and seasons, all right? Uh, uh, Song of Solomon chapter 2. Now, if you know anything about your Bible, there's a lot of things you'll see in the Old Testament that are types and they're pictures of things. And what you have in the book of Song of Solomon is you have a Jewish king and you have a Gentile bride. You say, what's that a picture of? It's a picture of Jesus Christ, the king, and the Gentile bride, the church, all right, and, and you have that picture running through the whole way through the, the, the book of Song of Solomon. Uh, in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, there's this back and forth between the bride and the groom. Uh, look at chapter 2 and look, if you would, at verse number 8. The voice of my beloved. Let me ask you a question. Uh, does it not say in John chapter 10, the sheep hear his voice and they know it and he calls him by name? Now look at this, Uh, the voice of my beloved, behold, he cometh leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills, but my beloved is like a roe or young heart, behold, he standeth behind our wall, he looketh forth at the windows, showing himself through the lattice. You know the Bible says in in Corinthians, uh, it says that we see right now through a glass darkly, but then, the rapture, then what? Face to face. And so the bride is describing her groom kind of being behind something, uh, but, but they're going to be getting closer and closer and closer. You say, what is that day? It's wedding day, all right? Uh, look, if you would, at verse number 
um, 11, for lo, or verse 10, excuse me, my beloved spake and said unto me, rise up. You know what uh, that is? It's a picture of something. What, you know what we call the rapture? It's the resurrection. Lazarus, come forth, rise up. All right, so the bride, the, the groom says to the bride, rise up. You know what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 4? Come up hither. Come up hither. And so the king is speaking to the bride, the, 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 the groom is speaking to the bride and saying, come up hither. I know some of you may be like, I don't know what's going on. For those that are tracing me so far, hang with me. The idea is this. We know that there's coming a, uh, the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. When we look forward to that day, Paul says that he was looking for that day during his lifetime. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together, rise up, caught up together with them in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. You know what Paul thought? It could have happened in his lifetime. So you know how I want to live? I want to live like he's coming back tonight. Now, maybe he comes back in 10 years. Maybe he comes back tomorrow. Maybe he comes back next week. I, got, I don't know, but I'll tell you this. I want to live, if it was good enough for the early church, it doesn't mean there's not advanced revelation and you can't figure some more things out. Great, wonderful. The way you need to live right now as if, as if he was coming back tonight, like right now. <laughs> That's the way you ought to be living your life. That's how the early church did it. Now, now, now notice this. Look at verse number uh, uh, 11. Uh, verse 10, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come where? Isn't that what we're waiting for? For the groom to call us home? All right, look at verse 11. For lo, the winter times and what? Seasons? For lo, the winter is past. What comes after winter? Spring. All right, the flowers appear on the earth. What does that sound like? Spring. The time of the singing of birds, you can't miss it. <laughs> the voice of the turtle, that's a turtle dove, is heard in our land. The fig tree put forth her green figs, and there's a lot in that. Uh, look at the last part of the verse. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come where? Come away. So here's what I can tell you, and I don't have time to lay it all out, but there are certain feasts uh, that take place in the Old Testament, and you've got, uh, you got uh, a, a couple key ones, and I'm going I'm to highlight them for the sake of what we're talking about. All right? You've got the Feast of first fruits. You know what Jesus Christ is called? The first fruits of the resurrection. You say, when does that take place? In the spring. So if, I, if, you were asking, if I'm a gambling man, you know what I would say? The rapture is going to happen in the spring. Now, I can't, I can't prove it necessarily 100%, but I would say that's it. And you go, oh, preacher, then I guess I got six months. Good luck with that kind of thinking, all right? I'm not recommending you think that way, all right? Um, and then over times and seasons is what I'm getting at. And then, uh, listen, in regards to him coming back and, and establishing himself on the earth, there's another feast. You say, what is it? The Feast of Tabernacles. You say, what is that? When does that take place? In the fall. Um, if I were to tell you, if you were to say, preacher, what do you think? That would be, my, that'd be the best thing I can tell you. Those are times and seasons, though. I'm not giving you a day. I'm not giving you an hour. Uh, but I will say this. Those are pretty uh, consistent in your Bible. I'll, I'll, we don't have time to get into all of it, of course. Uh, the other question that comes up is, is the tribulation seven years or three and a half years? And let me just say this right now. I don't know any preacher that believes that book that believes Christians go through the tribulation. So let's knock that one out right away. All right. The Bible says, go back to 1 Thessalonians 5. I know we're running quick. I just got, I'll wrap this up real fast. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You could literally teach in this stuff for weeks. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5, and as you do that, let me just say that where a lot of the confusion comes in is in Daniel chapter 9. 
And there's a lot going on in Daniel chapter 9 that has to do with Daniel's 70th week. And the question that really comes up, and I know some of you are into this and some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, and that's fine. Continue to study your Bible. You'll, you'll figure it out. Uh, but, but what you find out is that uh, when Daniel speaks of the weeks, he's talking about weeks of years, not a week of days. All right. The first time the word week shows up in your Bible in Genesis chapter 29, you know what it is? It's a week of seven years that Jacob worked for Leah and wanted to get Rachel, but he got Leah. And then another week that he worked for Rachel. You say, what was it? 14 years total, two weeks, but those were two weeks of years, seven plus seven. All right. So the book of Daniel goes in this really deep uh, conversation and we're not going to do it justice tonight. Uh, but, but I'll just say this. Here's what I can tell you emphatically. Daniel's 70th week is seven years. You say, why? Because that's what the Bible says. Um, the next issue is this. What is the Great Tribulation? Well, the Great Tribulation, anytime you look it up, I challenge you to do this. It's always 42 months. Revelation 13, 5, Revelation 12, 14, James chapter 5, verse 17, where it talks about Elijah, and there's no rain on the earth. It's 42 months, three and a half years. So the Great Tribulation is three and a half years. The argument that some of the brethren have is, okay, well, is there a peaceful time? And then later on, uh, halfway through the, the, the 70, uh, Daniel's uh, 70th week, halfway through that uh, uh, seven years, three and a half years into it, then we have the Great Tribulation. Now, I'll just say this much. Uh, after studying this thing out, um, I will tell you right now, it is very, very easy to come to the conclusion that the Great Tribulation is exactly what it says in the Bible. It's 42 months. Uh, and, and you say, well, then what, where does the other three and a half years go? Uh, it depends on how you interpret Daniel chapter 9. And it depends on when the Lord is anointed. Now, let me just say this. The word anointed in your Bible, the New Testament word is this. Oh, I'm sorry. The New Testament word is the Greek word Christ. The Old Testament word is Messiah. The anointing of Messiah the Prince. You know when that takes place? At the baptism of John. And when you run all the years, when Artaxerxes gives that command in Nehemiah chapter 2, and you run those years, it's 453 years, all right, to the birth of Christ, and then 30 more years for his life, all right, that's 483 years, and then he's got three and a half year ministry. Well, guess what? Daniel's 70 weeks altogether are 490 years. So the question is this, is the first half of Daniel's 70th week the ministry of Jesus Christ? And a lot of brethren would say, yes, it is. And a lot of brethren will say, no, it's not. Now, let me ask you this. Uh, um, let's say you figure it out and you go, it's seven. All right. Now, I don't want you to raise your hands, but some would go, I'm, it's seven. Okay, all right. And some would say it's three and a half, and I know it's three and a half. Can I ask you a question? I mean this sincerely. Are you going to be here for it? Should you argue with the brethren over it? Probably not. Should you study it out for yourself and know what you believe about it? Absolutely. Should you be able to show from Scripture what you believe about it? Absolutely. Should you split fellowship like a fool over something like that? Absolutely not. All right? So uh, now, I just tip of the iceberg. There's a whole bunch we could get into. Didn't have time for it. I want you guys to have questions. Now, what may happen is everyone else may get up and go, can you finish that? I don't know. Uh, but but I, there's a lot in that, and we'd have to go to Daniel to get to it. We don't have time for it now. Maybe You guys want to learn about it some other time? Amen. All right, we'll do that some other time, all right? So... Uh, there's a lot to unpack from Daniel chapter 9, and when you run all the, all the dates uh, and all the years, and is it a 360-day year? Is it a 365-day year? 
Uh, you say, oh, that, that's a thing? Oh, yeah. Uh, in the Old Testament, in the, in the book of Genesis, it started off as 360. Eventually, it turns into 365. And there are signs behind all that as well. So not going to go into all that. But again, you go, preacher, if it's that hard, I just don't want to study. Do you ever think maybe God puts that in there to go, how much do you want to know? Amen. Some of you guys could quote who won the Super Bowl in X year and the statistics on this soccer player and the statistics on this baseball player and who won the wrestling championship in this state in this year. And the Lord goes, yeah, well, what do you think about this? Well, preacher, it just sounds hard. Let me, let, me, let me just say this. You can't learn your Bible on TikTok. Can I also say this? Be careful that you learn your Bible on YouTube. Uh, let me tell you why. Because, because the, the reality is this. If all that you ever do is listen to what somebody else... You just go, well, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm telling you to go home and study it out. And look up the references. You ought to do that. Uh, now, I, I say all that to say this. Christian, uh, you ought to be living your life like Jesus Christ has come back tonight. And whether it's a three and a half year, seven year tribulation, and I've got my thoughts on which way I lean on that... But regardless of that, whichever way you go with that, let me ask you this. What are you going to do to keep people from going there? That's the question. Let's say you get up here and go, preacher, let me tell you why it's seven years. I'm going to prove to you right now. Great. Now you know it's seven years. What are you going to do to keep people from living that hell for seven years? Hell on earth. That's the question that I've got for you. Uh, so when you take the knowledge that you get, the question is, what do you do with it? All right. You, now, look, nobody wants to go into a surgery and have some guy that like barely passed high school and someone grabs him and gives him a knife and go, okay, well, you know, he needs some help. So go ahead and start cutting. Anybody want to do a surgery like that? No, you want to know that whoever's in there has gone through the training. All right. So Christian, you ought to go through the training. All right. And that's necessary for your life. But the question is, when you get the training and you got the scalpel, are you going to use it to show everyone how much you know or are you going to use it to go, let me just see if I can get that thing out of there for them? See, that's what God does for you with his infinite wisdom and his infinite knowledge. All right, so that said, took way too much time. Questions? We got questions. Miss Melissa. She's, he's going to bring the mic to you. So um, looking at the genealogy of Jesus... I have a question where in verses um, 3 and then in verse 7, it talks about Judas begetting Pharis and Zerah of Tamar. And then in 5, it says, and Boaz beget Obed of Ruth. And my question is, I thought that when, um, when somebody died, the other, like, like we said before, the brother mm -hmm. or somebody would come and... Um, raise seed for mm -hmm. the deceased person. Right. So if that's the case, then my question is, it's why in the genealogy is it not saying, you know, Boaz that, or Obed that was begat of, of Ruth's deceased husband, and also Tamar, Ferris, mm. it says of Judah instead of, of his son. Yeah. So let's Ray go to the book Sifa. of Ruth real quick, if okay. we could. Go to the book of Ruth. And, and what genealogy was that, Matthew or Luke? Matthew, okay. So go to Ruth real quickly. Um, so there's a great, there's a, that's a really good question. Um, and the answer is this. Um, first off, Ruth is not, um, clearly not, she's a Gentile. She's brought in. You understand that. Um, but what happens here 
is a, a beautiful picture of the law not being able to step in and save us. It's a picture of it. And Jesus Christ being willing to step in. And when he steps in, it changes everything. Uh, would you not say that when Jesus Christ stepped in, it changes everything? Yeah. Um, so what happens, uh, look at Ruth chapter number 4. Uh, Ruth chapter 4, Then went, verse 1, Then went Boaz up to the gate and sat him down there. And behold, the kin kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by, unto whom he said, Ho, such an one, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit ye down here. And they sat down. And he said unto the kinsman, uh, Naomi, that has come again out of the country of Moab, sell the parcel of land, which is our brother Elimelech's. And I thought to advertise thee, saying, Buy it, therefore, uh, buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. And he said, I will redeem it. Then said Boaz, What day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi? So this is the family of, of the, the, uh, the husband of Naomi. Thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. And the kinsman said, I cannot what? So the kinsman, the closest of kin, says, I don't want it. Because if I buy the land, I've got to take her with the land, and I've got to make her my wife. That was the custom. That was the law. And so this guy, in so many words, what, what the closest family member to Elimelech is saying is, I don't want to tarnish my name by marrying this Gentile outsider. So what, what Boaz does is he steps in, and it's a great picture of the law not being able to save us, and, and Boaz, a picture of Jesus Christ, taking that Gentile bride for his, his own and saying, I'll take you, I'll take the baggage, I'll take everything that comes with you, and I'll make you mine, amen? And that's what the Lord does for us. So the reason why you've got that, that kind of break, if you will, is because what Boaz does, he steps in where the closest of kin doesn't want it. And so it, it changes from there, it goes Boaz, and then from there it goes Obed. So what you have is you've got this, and, and Boaz is still part of the family, still kin in that tribe, so it, it, it runs through Judah the whole way, but the closest of kin didn't want it. So Boaz goes, okay, I'm stepping in. And, and you find uh, there's a, uh, also places where the Lord kind of skips over people as well. Uh, and so you've got a guy in the Old Testament, uh, a king, named Jeconias, and um, he's also called Kaniah, and uh, in one passage, you know what God says? Now, J-E, think about it, Jesus. You see, what does that mean? Jehovah saves. It's the New Testament form of Joshua from the Old Testament, all right? But that J-E on the front, that, that's connected with the name of Jehovah, you know what God does with this guy? And go to, uh, let's go to Matthew. Go to Matthew real quick. Go back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And uh, look, if you would, at, the, at verse number 16. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Now, let me ask you a question. Was Joseph Jesus Christ's actual father? No. Matter of fact, in Luke 2.33, the King James Bible says Mary, uh, uh, his mother and Joseph. It doesn't say his mother and father. 
His mother, Luke 2.33, his mother and Joseph. Why? Because Joseph wasn't his biological father. He was the only begotten of the heavenly father, right? All right, so, so he's virgin born. So this is the genealogy of who? Of Joseph. So if you go back, go to, uh, let's see here, go to verse number, verse 11. And Josias begat who? Jeconias. There's that guy. And his brethren, about the time they were carried away to Babylon, after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconias begat, so on and so forth. And you know what God does? God calls this guy Kaniah and takes the J-E off, and he says he's a broken and despised vessel. And you know what he says? He says, that guy, and he tells him, he says, no man can sit on the throne of David from your seed. Well, guess what? Jesus Christ is in this guy's line. If Joseph was his earthly father. So what you find is that, Lord, when it comes to these genealogies, God will kind of move things around and go, okay, we're skipping over that guy. And and there's a clear reason why uh, in this case, uh, in the case of, uh, of Boaz, it's the unwillingness of the closest of kin to step in and take that, that bride. And what the Lord does, he goes, you know what? I'm going to use this as a picture of something to come in the future. Um, so I'm not sure if I answered that question or not, sister. As a matter of fact, what's interesting in Ruth is that there's a custom. And in Deuteronomy, when you read the law, the way it's supposed to work is that you are to take the shoe off of the person that didn't want to, to, to redeem the land and, 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 and all the responsibility that came with it, and you're to spit in their face. Well, guess what? Boaz doesn't do that. Now, he could have, but he didn't. You say, why? Because there's value in the law. You don't spit on the law. The law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. See, the typology is there. The pictures of what it's supposed to be is there. Uh, but at the end of the day, one guy doesn't want... Now, let me just say this. You know what that teaches you? If you, go, if you ever think to yourself, God needs you, you know what the reality is? God doesn't need us. He desires us. And when you don't step up and you don't do what God's asked you to do, you know what God might do? He might just go, let me pass over you and let's go right over this way. And so, Christian, the answer is as, as much as you can, the extent that you can, that you know, when God puts his hand on your shoulder, you go, yes, Lord, here I, here I am. Speak that, that, that thy servant heareth. Amen. Uh, all right. So that makes sense, Miss, Miss Melissa? Amen. All right. Any other questions? All right, Caleb, you do a figure it out. Who you want to do, Johnny or that guy? Okay, Jaden, we'll come back to you. We'll come back to you. All right, my question is pretty simple. Uh, so in Matthew chapter 1, mm-hmm. it says, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, mm-hmm. for he shall save his people from their sins. Yeah. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted is, which being interpreted is God with us. Mm-hmm. And I, that goes back to Isaiah 7. Yep. So my question is, um, in, in Isaiah 7, it says that his name shall be Emmanuel. Mm-hmm. But then right here in um, Matthew 1, 21, it says, thou shalt call his name Jesus. Yeah. So I just wanted to just have some clarity on yeah. that. Yeah. So I don't know if you remember when Brother Gip was here. He said the author of a book can take artistic liberty with their own book. 
And there's a couple things. First off, notice the pronouns. I know everyone loves pronouns these days. So notice the pronouns in uh, verse number, uh, let's see here, um, 23. Uh, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. And who? They. So they're going to call him Emmanuel. But you are going to call him what? So his earthly given name is Jesus. Now, I'm going to get to the Emmanuel thing in a moment, but his title, Acts chapter 16, verse 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what this is? This is the anointed of God. All right? This is the humanity of, Jesus, of, of God in the flesh, and this is his deity. You know what you have here? Uh, you've got it like this. You've got uh, all wrapped up in here. I'm sorry, uh, you've got, uh, blah, 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 blah. there you go, you got a prophet, you got a priest, and you got a lord, that's what they call kings, all there, all right, so his earthly name was Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, Acts chapter 10, right, but they would call his name Emmanuel, why? Well, because what that name means is God with us. You, as his mom and as his parents, are going to give him this earthly name. But as he carries out his ministry, the world's going to look at him and go, that's God with us. And that was the fulfillment of prophecy from the Old Testament. Does that make sense? Yes. All right. Next question. Brother Javen, I'll come back to you. So, I have an uncle, and he's a JW. Okay. And, uh, and he's watching tonight. He's watching online right now. Yeah. Right. Um, but he uh, brings up the fact that, like, us Christians are celebrating a pagan holiday, yeah. Christmas, and yeah. also about, like, we don't celebrate birthdays in JWs because John the Baptist got his head chopped off. Right, right, right. I just want clarity on why people don't sh- celebrate Christmas and why they say it's pagan. Yeah, that's good, bro. That's real good. So you know what Monday's named after? A moon god. Thursday is Thor's day. That's how these names were formed. Saturday was Saturn's day. And Sunday was to worship the sun god. So to quit calling it Sunday, quit calling it Thursday, quit calling it if you're going to do that. Because I'll say it this way. Go to Romans 14 real quickly. Um, the answer, the question kind of is this. Is Christmas uh, a pagan holiday? I'm going to tell you right now, it's no different than the days in your week. The answer, in a nutshell, is yeah. When you look at the roots, not of celebrating the birth of Christ, that's not pagan. And that's where you need to draw the distinction. Um, But the roots of Christmas, if you go back, here's here's what you guys need to understand. I don't care if you're white, black, brown, yellow, everything in between. You know what your ancestors were doing? Running around naked, killing each other. And until they get the light from the scriptures. And what happens, you read about that in Romans chapter 1. And uh, listen, you look at the, the folks, the tribes in Africa that are running around doing crazy stuff. Guess what? The Celts and the Jutes and the Picts and the, and the Gales and all those people up in, in, England, in Europe, they're doing just as bad stuff up in Europe. It's not a black versus white thing. And all that stuff is stupid. You know what it's really about? The fact that before you got the light of the word of God, you were all pagan. The Bible talks about Jews being a very unique nation, a peculiar nation, because they had the scriptures, and the rest of the world didn't. 
And I'll tell you what, we are blessed to have this. You know why you're sitting here with clothes on? Uh, because the Word of God says you ought to be clothed. And let me tell you something, not all of our ancestors were clothed, all right? Uh, so so the, the, the question goes back to this. Um, is Christmas, if you go back, brother, to this particular thing, December 25th, and here's where all the, 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 the humbug is, is found, if you will. Uh, December 25th was an old pagan Roman holiday called Saturnalia. All right, and then the, the folks up now, that you'd find that in Southern Europe. Up in Northern Scandinavian countries, they celebrated Yule. And they, all, they did that all around the same time of year, all around December 25th, one of the darkest days of the year. And, and yes, all the, the date, December 25th, absolutely, that is pagan, 100%. Um, so is Monday, and so is Thursday, and so is Saturn Day, and so is Friday, and so is Sunday, and so on and so forth. Uh, by the way, you know what else is pagan? Rings. Don't wear a ring. You fool men, try that and see how your wife likes that. <laughs> Baby, I'm just trying to live true to the Bible. No pagan, you know, no rings for me. All right, good luck. Good luck, gentlemen. Um, so the, the truth is, all right, why do you eat a ham on Christmas? That's pagan. The evergreen stuff is all, oh, that's just pagan, man. That's just, it goes back. But, but the question is this, are you celebrating Yule? The answer is no. Am I, am I celebrating Saturnalia? The answer is no. You know what I'm celebrating? Now, the, that, that is... Jesus Christ was not born on December 25th, all right? Jesus Christ more than likely was born somewhere in September, October, all right? Uh, you see, how do you know? Feast of Tabernacles, Emmanuel, God is with us. God come down to dwell. The tabernacle of God, Revelation, is dwelling among men. That's what happens in the future, all right? So, so more than likely here, and I can give you a couple reasons why, shepherds are not out in the field in December and January, not in, not in the hill country of Judea. Uh, they wouldn't do that. It would be too cold for the sheep, and I can give you a lot of other reasons, but that's just one simple one. So more than likely born here. She goes, then why do we celebrate it? Here's my thing, guys. Here's my thing. And do whatever you want with this. We're going to hit Romans 14 in a moment. You're going to tell me all year long, you try to get people to believe in Jesus Christ, and then there's a date on the cut. You say, well, it's pagan. Some, the, the Pope put it there, blah, 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 blah. Agreed, no problem, no, no issue, no argument. So you're going to say all year long, you try to convince people, and then... They sing songs about him on December 20th. You're like, no, 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 he wasn't born then. No, no, you're wrong. Is that how you want to approach that? No, if you want to, knock yourself out. Uh, but I kind of take the approach of like, they're acknowledging him. I'm going to take advantage of this for the sake of the gospel. Um, and so uh, I've had people say things like, for example, uh, the, uh, Jeremiah 10, you know, don't have a Christmas tree and all that kind of stuff. The day that I see a Christian grab a tree, and bow down to it is the day that I go, quit doing that. Okay? And until then, uh, you having some things that are cultural in nature, there are some things that are cultural, you don't even realize it, that you do that probably are pagan. All right? Uh, uh, the, the wedding ceremony, as it's done, not all that stuff's biblical. All right? Uh, you need to understand that. Uh, so the question is, can I do it with a clean conscience? I absolutely can. Look at Romans 14. Romans chapter 14. So if someone says you can't celebrate because he wasn't born December 25th, I go, well, he wasn't born then. I agree with that. But I'm going to celebrate his birth and his burial and his death and his resurrection every single day of the year. The reason why Christmas is special is because the rest of the world stops what they're doing and they're forced to acknowledge the historical character of Jesus Christ. Why would you take that away? You say, well, the Pope put it there. I don't care who put it there. It could have been the man on the moon that put it there, the day on the calendar. I don't care. They're acknowledging it. Take advantage of that for the gospel's sake. If you don't believe, okay, here's, you, some of you are kind of like, I don't know. Sounds like compromise to me. Stop for a moment. In Acts 17, you know what Paul does? 
He quotes a lost Greek poet. Acts 17, look it up. He says, we're all the offspring of God. That's not a Bible verse. That's a lost poet. A Greek dude that didn't believe anything about God, the, the God of the Bible. You know what Paul does? He takes what a lost guy says, applies it, because he's talking to Greeks who would have known that guy. And he goes, hey, what that guy said, the God that that guy was trying to talk about, I'm here to talk to you about him. So he takes something that's pagan and, and uses it for the sake of the gospel. That's the Christian response to Christmas. Look at Romans 14. Romans 4, now, if someone says, I want to celebrate, that's fine. Not, I don't think you ought to judge someone that doesn't want to celebrate it, just like you shouldn't judge someone that doesn't want to celebrate it. Look at Romans 14, and look at verse number 4. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the who? Lord. Okay. So if you're going to celebrate it, point people to Jesus Christ. If you're going to celebrate it, celebrate it as unto the Lord in worshiping Him. If you're going to celebrate it, get your family around the Bible and say, we're going to look at the birth and life of Jesus Christ. Let's think about Emmanuel, God with us. Let's, let's consider, let's contemplate what God did for us when He humbled Himself, became of no reputation, and took upon Himself the form of a servant in the likeness of men. Let's think about that. God in the flesh. Let's dwell on that mystery. That is how you celebrate it. Uh, now, now, I'll just say this, Christian. If you go, well, I just don't want to do it, that's fine. No problem. The problem comes in when you go, you can't celebrate it because I have a conviction about it. Because clearly in the Bible, one man is with one day above another, and another man is seen with, uh, every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. On the birthday thing, uh, uh, yeah, so what they do is they say that Herod, you know, on his birthday had her... Look, let me just say this. They say, we don't celebrate birthdays because, you know, Herod had John the Baptist's head chopped off. And Okay, well, if on your birthday you have some girl do belly dancing for you and you chop a man's head off, then don't do that. Okay? That would be a, the wrong way to celebrate your birthday. It doesn't mean you throw the baby out with the bathwater. Have some common sense. Uh, so that would be my answer on that, brother. Uh, if you celebrate your birthday that way, you deserve not to have a birthday, all right? Uh, <laughs> But, but otherwise, every, Romans 14 really is the answer on that. Because if you want to celebrate it, that's fine. Do it as under the Lord. If someone says as a Christian, I want to celebrate my birthday, April 29th, and I want to celebrate the fact that God gave me life, and I want to give Him glory, and I want people to know my testimony, God says, I love that. I love that. Uh, if you take it and you abuse it and you're self-consuming and so on and so forth, then, then God has a problem with it. So it's what you do with it and how you use it. It goes back to motive, judgment seat of Christ, and how you use that day. So, uh, does that make sense? Yes. Okay. All right. Any other questions? Brother Robbie? Oh, did you have one? Okay. All right. This is on. Check. Yeah. I didn't hear it back here. <laughs> um, so, I have a question about the star on when Jesus was born. Yeah. Um, Matthew 2, 2, saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Yeah. For we have seen his star in the east are come to worship him. His star. I wonder if there's a direct like star like is his star. Um, is it a star in the celestial? Um, and also Matthew 2, 9, when they had heard the king, it departed and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over the young child where the, one, where the young child was. Yeah. I imagine like a, a floating star, like kind of like guiding them. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, can you 
bring some clarity on that for me? Yeah, so I'll just say this. Yes, it is a celestial body. Um, they are, it's a literal thing in the heavens. Um, that, that's what it says, so we've got to take it at face value. The, the, the double application comes from Numbers 24, and we're running out of time, so I'm not going to have you... Well, if you want to go there, go there. Numbers 24, I believe it's verse 17, where Balaam is trying to curse Israel, and um, he can't curse Israel because they're God's chosen people, and he blesses them instead. And in Numbers chapter 24, and by the way, when this is uh, written, uh, you've got a king of the east, east of Israel, east of Canaan, uh, that has come, and the wise men came from the east, and uh, the old adage is history moves east to west. And by the time it travels all the way around, you learn about the the Industrial Revolution and the, the Reformation, the Great Awakening, Industrial Revolution. And you say, what's going on right now? History's moving all the way back, all the way back to where it started in the Middle East. That's why you hear about Hamas and Israel, Hamas and Israel, Hamas and Israel. And it's going to end up right back where it started over here. Uh, but the idea is this. Um, those wise men came from the East. Numbers 24 has to do with some people that are East. They, they are in the land of the East. And in that passage, it says this, a star, capital S. Shall arise. Is that Numbers 24, 17? Yeah. All right. A star shall arise out of Jacob. Well, who's Jesus Christ? He's the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he's a, a child of Jacob. So it says a star shall arise out of Jacob. So, but it's a double application. You say, what is it? It's a reference to two things. It's a reference to a heavenly body, and it's also a reference to Jesus Christ himself, which is why... Now, here's where it gets real interesting. Do you know in the Old Testament uh, who would show up to people as a representative of God? It was the angel of the Lord. And when people met the angel of the Lord, they would say they saw God face to face and God didn't correct them. Uh, and you know what it says? It says the angel of the Lord spoke to those, uh, to those shepherds. And it's weird because that's the angel of the Lord, but, it's also, but Jesus is already a baby in the manger. So wrap your mind around that one for a little bit. Uh, but the idea is it's obviously a reference to Jesus Christ. And I believe what you have is this. I believe those wise men, they had access to this, and they had access to what is written about in Daniel. Uh, and in Daniel chapter 9, because those people knew the history of Israel, and they knew that there'd be so many years unto the coming uh, of the Messiah, and they're looking at, the, at their calendar. Now, just keep in mind, those wise men in Daniel, you know what they're listed as? As wise men, soothsayers, and you, you know what else? Astrologers. You know what those people did? They studied the heavens. So you know what those wise men did? Because they had been trained in this, is they looked up and combining what they were trained in, 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 their, in their trade, if you will, and looking at access to what they read here about what they were looking for, a star, and when it would come, Daniel, they go, it's about time, boys. We should be looking up. You know what's a great picture of Christian? The more you learn the, uh, from the Word of God, you ought to be looking up for Jesus Christ to come back. That's what it's a great picture of. They were wise. Uh, but the idea is this. Yes, it was a heavenly body, but clearly in Numbers 24, uh, now do they know that? Do the wise men know that it's a reference to Jesus Christ himself? I can't prove that they wouldn't. I think they see that and they go, okay, we got to look up. And God put something in there that they would understand thousands of years before they're ever, ever even alive. And they read that thing, and they combine it with what they had access to in the, in the writings of Daniel because they came from the land of the east. And more than likely, Babylon, the kingdom of Persia, which is where Daniel was at and those wise men were, uh, the word wise men shows up 12 times, one for every tribe of Israel 
in the book of Daniel. That's the book that has that word more often than any other book. And those wise men were looking at this and looking at this and going, it's about time, boys. And nobody else is looking for it. You know why? Because everybody else is doing this, looking at the stars. Ooh, and this pattern means this, and this pattern means this. But they're not combining it with the scriptures. And those wise men had a supernatural light that God gave them, literally and spiritually, that nobody else had in their day. So uh, there's a celestial body for sure. Now, uh, is it something that is, is out there right now? Uh, I'll say this much. Um, I believe it was supernaturally placed there for such a time as that. And they followed it. As a matter of fact, they lost it for a while when they got out of the will of God, and it quit showing up. And then they looked up and found it again. So the, the answer, brother, is, yeah, it's a celestial body, but also it's a reference to Jesus Christ. Now, the reason, now, I, I, I won't go into all of it, but if you study 1 Corinthians 15 some other time, we're called stars. Because in the resurrection, that's what you're going to do. You're going to shine. And you're going to reflect the light of Jesus Christ. So last question, Miss Sarah. I didn't want to forget you. I know you had your hand up. But Caleb, real quick, and we'll wrap it up. Unless it's a four-hour long answer. She's like, you don't know until I ask. So I know that uh, we get Joseph's genealogy twice. My question was, do we know um, where the, it divided between Mary's family and Joseph's? Because they're both from yeah. David's line. And why right. do we get Joseph's twice? Like, why... Well, let's go, to, let's go to Luke. Go to Luke real quick. So Matthew, you get it, you get it for, for sure there in Matthew. Look at Luke. And, and let me answer that question by saying you're not actually getting Joseph's twice. Uh, look at Luke and look if you would at, is it chapter 3? Uh, I think chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. Um, now let me say this. Um, if you, if you uh, study your Bible, what you find out, um, look at Luke chapter 3, verse number 23. And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being as was supposed. Now look at that, as was supposed. Not that he actually was, the son of Joseph. So let me ask you a question. Was Jesus born of Joseph's seed? No. All right, so you know what ends up happening? You'll find the term son of, and it's not always a reference to a direct son. Uh, sometimes it's a grandson. How about this? Sometimes it's a son-in-law. You know what you're reading there in Luke chapter 3? You're reading about Mary's line. And, and what happens, uh, now let me, let me give you something else uh, to consider as well, is that the word begat is different than saying, well, let me give you an example. Can I do this? Is this okay? Um, I did not begat Preston. Preston's my son. I didn't begat him, but he's my son. So what you find in Matthew is you find this word. Why? Because every person in that line is the father of the next person. This is not the same as this. And so you're not technically, you said Joseph's brother, and you say, why? He's the son-in-law, and it goes on up, up through there. Uh, and so what you have is you've got more reference to Mary's line versus Joseph. Now, they're eventually going to get intertwined, but there is a break, clearly, because if you go back, they all go back to Judah, Right? Uh, but, but as you go down, if you compare the two, sit them side by side, you'll see they're not 100% the same. And that's why. Yeah. All right. Who's ready to go home? There's more questions. All right. Who says we need to get some cocoa? Let's do that. All right. I hope you guys got some, some help from the Word of God tonight. Learn something. 
Uh, I probably threw out more questions than I did answers with my introduction uh, and some of the things I got into. And we can go over that some other time. Uh, but let me just close with this thought. Take the knowledge you have and be a light for Jesus Christ, all right? Let's all stand. We'll have a word of prayer. You teens go over there and get ready for uh, what we're going to be doing outside. If you want to go help Miss Didia and Brother Jose get things ready out there, that'd be great. Uh, let's uh, stand. Let's have a word of prayer. And I want to encourage you. Don't forget Sunday. We do not have Sunday school. We're here at 11 o'clock. And I want to encourage you. Find someone that you maybe. I'll throw the question out. Who's inviting someone to come for candlelight service? All right. You got some people coming. Good. Uh, I think we're going to have a full house. And that'll be a real good thing to have. If, uh, if you've got some other people in your life that you could reach out to, grab some of those invites on the way out. Let's get them out. All right. Uh, let's close in a word of prayer. Good to have you guys here tonight. And uh, Brother Eric, if you would dismiss us in a word of prayer tonight, sir. Thank you.